My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And my name is Meg. And, and this, this is Anamorphology. Everworld Edition. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The end, The Secret. The Andrew. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The warning, The Decision. The Spectre. The Sound. Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Weak. The Conspiracy. The Solution. The Deception. The Suspicious Existence. The Spectre. Sacrifice. The Diversion. The Beginning. Everworld One. Search for Senna. Hello, everyone. We're oh, back. Hi. We're Yay. back with Everworld. It's so great to see you all. Ted, can you see them all? Yeah. I'm impressed. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking oh. to you and Gray. And Meg. Meg. Who you may remember from her appearance on episode insert number 32. here. It was 32. On episode 32 and her contributions to our All the Guest Host panel. And she will be joining us for all of the Everworld books. Yay. We are extremely excited. You've picked up a straggler. Welcome, Meg. <laughs> We're so happy you're well, here. I'm extremely pleased to be here. So what's the deal with Everworld? Um, Apple Grant started writing it sometime when Animorphs was coming out. And yeah, it yeah. was around the time that they started to have to get ghostwriters because they needed to focus on Everworld. And um, I don't really know much else about it. Well, I know everything about it that's in the Wikipedia article, which is pretty much just that because this Wikipedia article is sparse. This does not seem to have been quite as well documented as Animorphs. In fact, you cannot buy the books in an ebook format. You cannot. It's really weird. So if you want to read along, good luck. <laughs> you can definitely find paper copies like through used booksellers, which is what we did to read this one. Yep. But don't worry, we'll fill you in on everything that happens. Definitely, because I'm doing the summary. It's going to be perfect and comprehensive. Before we get into the first book, should we talk about... Which of us have read Everworld before? Yeah, we should. What our experience with Everworld has been? I'll go first. I definitely read this book before. I remember nothing about it, but I do remember the image on the inside cover. When I got to that scene in the book, I was like, I think I have seen this. And then I checked the inside cover and I was like, yes, I, mm. I know this for teens hanging from a wall. Like, this is very, <laughs> I remember this. I definitely read it. Maybe I read some of the second ones, but... I don't think I continued reading it, and I think I just resented it for taking <laughs> Apple Grant's attention away from Animorphs. I don't know if I knew the books were ghostwritten at the time, but I definitely had a feeling of like, who cares about Everworld? Do more Animorphs. So yeah, I never finished the series, and I'm very excited to return to them because, boy, these books are so Apple Grant-y, and see where it goes. Jenny, what about you? I read all of them. I was never as into them as I was into Animorphs. I, I think I liked them fine. I don't think I ever reread them. I did buy the last book at the time because it wasn't in the library yet. And I think maybe I started reading them a little later than they started coming out. But like, that's the one where I was like, I need to know what happens. I need to buy this. But I never collected them the way I did Animorphs. And I have I have a few specific memories of like things that happened in the series, but... I don't have a lot, like I don't really remember the, the main plot or anything. How about you, Greg? I did not read any of these as I did, have not read any other Applegate books. Given this book and what I now know about the Animorphs and the Animorphs fandom in particular, I feel Apple Grant made a mistake in choosing to refocus their attention. <laughs> Controversial opinion? Perhaps. Perhaps yeah, not. You know, hot takes here uh, mm -hmm. in, in the anamorphology world. How about you, Meg? 
So I've read some of them. And I don't remember which ones, but Ooh. I would have got them from the Scholastic Book Fair during the time yeah. the Animorphs was coming out. I have very limited memories, so I would have read this in sixth grade, so 20 whole years ago. I have three scenes that really stuck out, and it's uh, they didn't happen in this first book, so I'm going to try and couch them in non-spoiler terms. But it was a scene at the Aztec Temple, a scene with a blood transfusion, and a scene where someone sings a song from Rent in a very heartbreaking context. I'm so excited. <laughs> that's all that's all that I remember. I remember being disappointed that no one was Rachel-y enough in these books for me because I loved Rachel. That's a valid criticism. Meg, I remember the blood transfusion scene. It's one of very few scenes I remember. That one I remember. That's so funny. So, I am pretty sure like I I didn't recall this, but as soon as you said blood transfusion, I was like Oh, yeah. Somewhere in Animorphs fandom on the internet, somebody mentioned this scene. (laughs) I have concerns about all three of those scenes that you listed. Just, I'm worried. It's gonna be great. Um, So this first book is about a character named David who lives with his mom. And I want you guys to know, I instantly made the connection of a different character, David, who lives with his dad. And I would like to ask, is this David trilogy David, as he might have been, had he ended up with his mom and not his dad. Oh, Meg, you are just like hitting my main point for starting to talk about this book. I think we should do a summary first. It's wise. Before we get into this question. Okay. We can <laughs> we can revisit the sliding doors yeah. scenario. But this was, um, Ted started reading this book today and he's like, I'm like three pages in and I have five notes already. And I was like, was one of them about the character's name? <laughs> and it was. So Jenny, before we get into the discussion... What happened in Search for Senna? Did they find her? So, Search for Senna, first book of 12 of the Everworld series. It is a first-person narrator again. It is narrated by a teenager named David. David is a junior in high school, so already we're at an older age bracket than Animorphs. David just moved to a new town. He started dating this girl named Senna. He's super into Senna. She's, like, really weird and mysterious. And he's like, yeah, I, I didn't know anything about her except for how she made me feel, which I thought was kind of nice and self-aware as a teenager there. There's also this guy, Christopher, who used to date Senna. Christopher's friends kind of beat David up a little at the beginning. And, and Christopher kind of comes to his rescue along with this girl, April, who's Senna's half-sister. And this guy, Jaleel, who is sort of David's friend. It seems like they're like not super close, but they kind of hang out. They're both outsiders. They're both outsiders, exactly. So this happens the next night or whatever. Uh, David's on a date with Senna and she's like, David, I feel like something is about to happen. And he's like, what? She's like, something big. Will you save me when it happens? And he's like, yes, I'll save you. And then he has like some really intense dream about her where she seems to like know things about his future or something. And then he wakes up like all like jazzed up and goes for a run, runs to this nearby park where there's a pier, sees Senna on the pier. And Christopher and April and Jaleel all show up and they're like, what are we even doing here? Like, this is so weird. And then like the air opens in front of the pier and a huge wolf comes out and takes Senna in its mouth. And uh, like reality is like all weird and kind of Elemist vision-y. And David decides to go like run after Senna and everyone else comes with him. And they all run off the pier into this like weird reality hole and wake up manacled to a rock cliff. 
see a Viking boat down below and are like, this is weird. Turns out they're being held in Loki's castle. Loki, the Norse god of like mischief and destruction. He's like, what did you do with my witch? And they're like, what? And he's like, I, you were there. I broke a hole in reality to get her and then she's gone and it's all your fault. And they're like, yeah, we really don't know anything. And they end up escaping from Loki, having all sorts of difficult hijinks on the way out, end up like jumping 500 feet into the water, but they fall really weirdly slowly. And then there's a boat waiting for them with like food and clothing, which is really weird. And they don't really understand what's going on. They row to shore, meet a bunch of Vikings, masquerade as minstrels. April turns out can sing, very handy. And the Vikings all love them because they sing a version of Battle Hymn of the Republic all about Vikings. And we get the importance of uh, intellectual property. And then um, emissaries from Loki come and are like, hand them over. And the Vikings are like, surely these couldn't be Loki's prisoners because how could Loki's prisoners escape? And the kids realize they're like caught in the middle of this like rivalry situation. And the Vikings are about to sail off to get a tribute which will make Loki free Odin, the Norse Allfather. The Vikings want Odin back because they think Odin will protect them from the Hetwans. Confused yet? Probably. The Hetwans seem to be this like weird bug people who, unlike everyone else that they've met here, don't seem to be from Earth's history. But Loki was talking to the Hetwans and... Uh, the Vikings find this out and are like, oh no, we've been betrayed. But they're they're going to sail across the waters to fight the Aztecs and bring back the head of the Aztec god as tribute so that Loki will set Odin free. And in order to do this, they have the Hammer of Thor is their weapon that will let them like behead a god. So our, our four heroes sail with the Vikings. David gets really into rowing. They, they cross the ocean and... Uh, the book ends as the battle starts on the Aztec shores. I didn't mention that like while this is happening, every once in a while, the kids go to sleep. And when that happens, they wake up in the real world. So they are basically never asleep. I'm really worried about brain damage. Uh, but they, while they're in Everworld, while they're awake in Everworld, there's like some like version of them kind of goes on without their conscious presence which is, is a little weird. So it's like they're kind of going through their daily life and when they snap back to the real world, they can remember the days that they were gone, but like they weren't really there for it. So that's happening. Also uh, at the end of the book, David is in the real world. He's asleep in Everworld and he sees Senna in like a bookstore cafe. They have like a cryptic conversation. She's like, when this battle comes with the Aztecs, you should run away. And he's and like, I'm not going to do that because he has this whole chip on his shoulder about not being a coward. She also says, I need you as my champion. Oh, yeah. Whatever She's like means. really chosen him specifically to like be on her side. And he really feels that he's like, I'll do anything for her. And then she just vanishes and he realizes that no one else in the cafe could see her. So that's another weird thing that's happening. She definitely kissed him while they were in the cafe. So he's oh, leaning yeah. over the table, just like kissing empty air. <laughs> Regular teenage boy, am I right? So that's Everworld. That's Everworld. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's most of what happened. I don't know if we have anything to add. I, th I think we'll get into it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So Gray, what do you think? <laughs> thumbs up, thumbs down, shrug? I have... Some questions. Yes, questions! <laughs> <laughs> it's just like old times. <laughs> Which I'm assuming 
will be answered in later books in the series. Or at least I'm hoping, because (laughs) a thing that this book does really well is planting our main characters kind of in media rest in Everworld, right? They they show Mm -hmm. up in the middle of a big battle of which they know nothing. But the, you know, backstory that they get in the exposition scene is minimal to say the least and interrupted quickly. And uh, I got very excited that we were going to get backstory and then we didn't. <laughs> so I'm hoping that comes back. So great. I, I hear you saying you hope. You hope it comes back. Also not having read these books, I can only assume that none of the lore or like backstory ever makes sense or gets explained. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, have, I have no faith in Apple Grant to be able to deliver <laughs> on this premise. So I... Really good point. I would be so shocked to discover that we eventually get the answers that we seek. (laughs) And instead, I've lowered my expectations to the point of like, okay, this is a totally wacky premise, but they're going to hang out with Vikings and Aztecs and stuff. I mean, I do believe that we'll learn more than we have now. Like, I'm sure... Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. Some of our questions sure. I really think that that is an excellent perspective. As we've learned from the Animorphs series, my ability to suspend my disbelief and just go with the story is minimal. So this should be fun for everybody as I sit here and sputter incoherently about timelines and things. It's going to be interesting because like, I'm definitely going to like, we'll we'll talk about any potential (laughs) plot holes that already exist. Yeah. I do feel like it's pulling the Narnia thing where time in that world is not the same as time in our world, which is like a little bit of a narrative hand wave there. Well, I mean, explicitly, right? Because it's three days in our world when it's one day in in Everworld. Is that right? Or the other? Yeah, and I don't think that's like a constant conversion rate. Mm -hmm. I think it's just like, time is weird. It's wibbly wobbly. Exactly. Uh, Ted, what did you think? I, I so I think the problem that I have with Everworld so far, despite all, like I'm actually totally here for the ridiculousness of it, which we should get into in detail. I only like two out of the five kids. Can I guess which two? Yeah, me too. Please guess. Is it April and Jaleel? Correct. Yeah, me Those too. are the two that I like. Yeah. <laughs> They're the only two that are likable. Yeah, and like I really want to talk about all the characters. Yes. I actually think that David at least is interesting. Senna and Christopher have yet to do anything for me, but. Because I just sort of don't think it's going to deliver on the world building and stuff. I really want to just care about what happens to these people. And like, I'm kind of like, eh, I don't, I, I'm not quite bought in yet. Uh, it's also like, it's such a different thing from the Animorphs because the Animorphs is like, the first book is like such a like opening statement premise. And then you get like all these adventures and it can go in anywhere. And like, this is very much like a fantasy quest. Yeah. Like, you know, they're trying to rescue Senna, and I'm presuming that evolves into them becoming, like, involved in the fate of Everworld itself, and it'll be, like, a epic thing. And, like, I don't know if it was intentionally only 12 books or if they, like, got to 10 and they were like, now we have to have an ending, like they did with Animorphs. Mm-hmm. But, like, the small size makes me feel like it's going to be this, like, more traditional story. So, like, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. It feels like, it feels very much like a chapter one. Yes, I agree with that. What do you think, Meg? Um, suspicious of Senna, like, right off the bat. Mm. And so I have, like, all these theories about, because clearly she's some sort of supernatural being and stuff. I was really excited that it takes place near Lake Michigan, because I'm like, ah, Harry Dresden running parallel. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I wrote down all of what I called the signs of the times. 
Oh yeah. Yes. Oh, we'll do the nineties. Uh, that moments. was actually my favorite part. This was. <laughs> It was so. Good. It was the longest list of '90s moments since like the early Animorphs books. Yeah. yeah, and I I think that's because they're going to spend such a percentage of the story within Everworld that they had to get their '90s moments in where they could grab them. <laughs> I was actually hugely impressed by the prose. Like, mm, yeah, I don't know what it was. This was a fun read. I really liked how David spoke and like let us infer his emotions it didn't have to be because you know I do enjoy the pros of the Animorphs books as well but this one was like a little less spoon feeding with the emotions and how the characters were reacting but yeah the search for Santa it kicks off here (laughs) so would we say you should continue with your thoughts but would we say this is YA like they're writing YA and not middle grade like like they, they sort of leveled up a notch and it felt like they they did a really good job of like adapting it's like, I don't know, you read Animorphs and you're like, oh, this is their style. And then you read this and you're like, oh, they're really versatile. They can do sort of a slightly more elevated, like slightly more complex yeah. emotions. Gray is looking skeptical. I would I would say that these books are still very strongly their style in pretty specific ways. And the, the aspects of it that made it YA are kind of minor, like because... The books are not, this book at least, Who I don't know what happens in the next 11, but this book at least isn't dealing with kind of YA themes specifically. It's kind of fantasy themes, but the t- the teenagers are what makes it YA, right? It's so, so the way that they, the way I see them having adapted Animorphs is the kids are a little older, so they can drive, you know, they're, they're in high school, they have mm-hmm. high school experiences. And like, once somebody made out with somebody else. But like, there isn't, it isn't a coming of age in the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, that, that was my skeptical look. It was like, it is YA, but I don't see it as being significantly different in style or particularly of an indication of their versatility. This is Apple Grant. We cuss now. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't. They don't. There were many parts where they were deliberately working around a swear word, and I was very amused by them and wrote them down. I was, yeah, I was, I was ranking them like, okay, how high are we going on the severity of swears? <laughs> and I'd say it only went up to a three on what I consider a five level of swears. Ooh. Oh, that's actually higher than I would have expected. Yeah. yeah. What's Animorphs? Is Animorphs a two? Oh, or Animorphs a one? is a one. Okay. <laughs> we don't yeah. give a rat's yeah. butt. Yeah. yeah. Actually, when I was 13 and reading these, when I was 13 and reading Animorphs, I was very offended by the word butt. I thought that was very inappropriate. Bless. So I think maybe we have to give it a two and expand the scale because child Jenny was way too prudish about it. I actually, I'm wondering now if when Everworld first came out, it must have been around like Animorphs 25-ish. Like, I don't know when... 25 yeah. to 30 July 1999. We could check and yeah, see what came out at that time. So like, I wonder if I, if it was like shelved in a different part of the bookstore or like, I kind of have this vague memory of it being like, ooh, it's like YA. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing, to your point, Gray, there's nothing in here that's really like, like I feel like the Star Wars books I was reading were much racier then. Dragon Riders of Pern. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I read that's that. what I was reading. <laughs> yeah. There was nothing as explicit as Dragon Riders of Pern. But I did feel like there was, um, like, there was mention of, like, sexual assault. And, like, that might have been the only thing that really tricked me is, like, oh, we're going to, like, some darker, like, more mature material. Yeah, they touch on other characters being homophobic and racist. 
something that we would never have like really explicitly stated in the Animorphs books. Yeah. And they talk about having sex. Like it's plausible that they've all they've all had sex or like yeah, and they do drugs. They definitely like, talk more about yeah. sex than the Animorphs do. And it felt like the level of sexual activity they were engaging in was much more 17 than 13. Yeah. It was still, like, milder than it could have been they, for 17-year-olds. They but. viscerally describe his naked butt touching a stone wall. Like, that is very <laughs> something that would not happen in Mostly, <laughs> mostly naked butt. Oh, well, okay. If he'd been 18, it could have been naked. But. <laughs> Strategically placed strands. Yes. This is a, a very tangential uh, plot hole, but uh, his pants are torn to shreds. Uh, but then uh, soon after that, he wets his pants in fear, very reasonably in my opinion. <laughs> and someone can tell from looking at him from behind. And I was like, I thought you had a bare <laughs> butt. What, what, what is that person looking Presumably at? Presumably that's because he just peed <laughs> yeah. on the ground. <laughs> Which is right? I mean. happening here. <laughs> Maybe his pants are so right. much in shreds that he's half peeing on the ground. I was going to say, the point of contact where the pants would be the most shredded would clearly be the glutes. And I think it's more like, um, you know, open air chaps back there <laughs> that the rest of his pants are, are you know, contained Intact. enough that you can see. You know, I can't understand why that would be so especially humiliating, but we'll come back to it. He's just like rocking a really uh, interesting style there in the courtyard of so, Loki's yeah, castle. Yeah, Meg, did you have other like initial or overall reactions? Overall, like you said, those were the two characters I connected to as well. I thought David's story was pretty interesting. I think it's clear he's under some kind of magical whammy from Senna. And I'd be interested to see how he either overcomes that or works within it as the book goes on. I really liked the magical whammy. I mean, it's not explicitly a magical whammy, but Mm -hmm. like he's like the first time I saw her, I just knew. And then we learned that he knows nothing about her. And I really liked that implication of magical whammy as like a little bit of a parody of teenage infatuation yeah it was like it was a very effective like i could imagine a teenager just being this devoted to someone he didn't really know just because like the love feelings are new and strong i did really like that like i that i felt like david i don't necessarily like him but i felt like he was very relatable and that was one of the things the kind of like or just like I don't know, like the fact that she's Senna is genuinely a mystery because she seems to be a supernatural traveler yeah. between universes. Yeah, it's not just but like, oh, also, girls are mysteries. No, but <laughs> it is at 16, a, a, a like a hot girl who like, you know, like there's some secret you don't know, like is inherently like the most mysterious and fascinating thing in the world to a 16 year old boy, right? Like it's very relatable and it's a fun conflation. Yeah, it could have gone on to David just saying... Yeah, and then I got to know her, and she was still great, and then we kissed, and it was awesome. Like, it could have gone in either direction. It went the magical route, right. but it definitely could have just gone the, like, prosaic yeah. teen romance route. So, Jenny, what did you think returning to Everworld? Um, I I liked it about as much as I expected to, maybe a little bit more. I, I did really enjoy the story. I really did enjoy the prose as well. Um, I feel like it just is shooting itself in the foot a little bit by, like, not having very likable characters like there were two things that um the animorphs had that this doesn't which is that you like all the characters in animorphs and they know and are attached to each other Mm -hmm. like this did not have that like this group Mm. of kids they knew each other like david and jaleel are like 
sort of friends, but like maybe to the level that like Jake and Tobias were sort of friends. And also Jake and Tobias were friends through like Jake rescuing Tobias, whereas David and Jaleel are friends through Jaleel critiquing David's poem, but in a very honest way and like just being really upfront about it. And you're like, this is this just isn't the same level of bond. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, you have like cousins and best friends and love interests all kind of entangled in Animorphs. And here you have like, well, the sister of the girl I'm dating and the ex-boyfriend of the girl I'm dating and my sort of friend. And it's just like none of them have like that glue isn't there. And they kind of don't need it in the same way in terms of the plot because they're all thrown into this world together. They only have each other. Right. They're They're, going to stick together. They're not a found family yet. Right. They're They're working towards it. But like that element of like, yes, this group, I'm rooting for this group. I like them. I like the group. That is missing. And also they don't have special powers. Like they're, they have like sort of the powers that come with being from the future sort of, and like having sneakers, which I thought was really cool uh, thing to give them an edge, but like they don't have powers. And like, that's also something that pulled me into Animorphs. And so like, there are just many, many of the things that I particularly love about Animorphs are absent here. And so even though it's a fun story, like it didn't grab me the same way at, I don't know, 15 or 14 or whatever (laughs) I was when this came out. And it doesn't quite grab me the same way now. But, like, I do think it's going to be really interesting and worth talking about. I do think, like, um, I'm really interested in the group dynamic where, like, they might not actually be all on the same page. Mm -hmm. One, about Mm -hmm. whether Everworld is awesome or terrible. And two, about whether Senna is awesome or terrible. (laughs) And so, like, I'm actually looking forward to the inter-party conflict there. Uh But without that overbearing reason for them to stick together like there's no reason why david couldn't just wander off on his own in everworld in the same way right like maybe we'll learn again they're all part of some prophecy or something (laughs) i'm kind of expecting that but yeah can i um give my tangential library librarian view as well too just because yes i was completely unable to stop comparing this series to a adult fantasy trilogy that is one of my favorite series um, it's called the Fionavar Tapestry. It's by Guy Gabriel Kay, who's a fantasy Ooh. author. And it is about five humans who are brought from our world into a world called Fionavar, where the forces of evil are about to break loose of their thousand-year chains and wreak havoc upon the earth. And these five humans are chosen for reasons they don't understand to come and help. It's initially pitched to them as like, we want people from your world to come and like be present at this big ceremony that's happening. And then it turns out that there are all of these threads that connect them to one another and to Fionavar in different ways. And it draws very heavily on mythology, not as much Norse, although Fenrir does kind of appear as well. But Fionavar is like the source of all stories. So there's a lot of mythology kind of woven into it. And this book was like that in so many ways where these, you know, five humans are, you know, unsuspecting humans are kind of brought into this other world and they have to figure out what's going on. And because of that very distinct parallel, I found it very difficult to detangle them in my head. So as we're talking, Mm. this, this book draws very heavily on Norse mythology, although there are some, as we discussed, you know, there are some other myths that kind of get mentioned. And the Fionavar Tapestry doesn't. But 
there are these kind of people in a new world where there are gods and what's happening and I don't really understand it. Shouldn't we just go home already and leave these people (laughs) to figure their shit out on their own? And I really enjoyed that aspect of it because, you know, humans figuring out a new world and like befriending people in that world and trying to understand the forces at work is a trope that I very much enjoy in my fantasy. But my overall point is, if you enjoyed the Everworld books at any point in your lives, (laughs) please may I recommend the grown-up better version of them called the Fionavar Tapestry, which I love very dearly. I also want to jump in. This reminded me of something that I've been reading recently and is an incomplete work, but it's the um, comic series Die by Kieran Gillen and Stephanie Hans. Uh, So it's an ongoing comic series, and it's about, it's a similar premise of like, teens get taken into this fantasy world and then it's like how can they all get back the premise is more like they're actually missing so there's no parallel reality thing Mm -hmm. um but the twist in die is that you don't get the first version of the story where the teens go to everworld you get them all in middle age when they are summoned back and they have to confront with their like teenage fantasies themselves and so like the thing about that is like because the fantasy is kind of like based on who they were as kids, it's like very connected to them. The thing that Everworld lacks so far is like, none of them were like into Vikings before they got (laughs) here. And it it seems like it's gonna be a lot more like of a grab bag of fun stuff. I feel like if Animorphs was, they were like, we wanna teach kids what it would be like to be animals. Everworld is like, we wanna expose kids to mythology. Yeah, I can see that. And so I, I think we're gonna get a lot of different mythologies. And I say this knowing that there are four of us on the podcast, but I think four is a bad number of characters to have. (laughs) It's kind of small. Yeah, say more. Yeah, either you have a solid trio uh, or like a a buddy cop duo, or you got your five-man band and beyond. And four, to have just like an even number, it just, it felt weird to me. And it felt like there was someone Mm. missing from the group. And I don't know if Senna at some point is going to join them or if we'll have like other people on the journey. But it just seemed like there weren't, like you guys were saying that they're not connected already. There doesn't seem to be a lot of possibilities for connections within this small group beyond Mm-hmm. It's either all four of us or it's none of us. Yeah. Yeah, they also seem to all, like, the the connections they have are a little bit adversarial already. Mm-hmm. Like, April and Christopher have a little bit of a Rachel Marco thing, but, like, because there isn't the sort of friendship network around it, it's a little uh, less fun. About April and Christopher, I think April and Christopher were together, and then Senna put the whammy on Christopher, thinking that he would be her champion. And then when Whoa. David moves into town, Senna's like, no, no, David's a much better choice. And she drops Christopher to move over to David. Because April mentioned something when David's like, I have to save her. She's like, she's done it again. And I'm like, ooh. So I think. That's fun. That the Senna connection between April and Christopher and David is very strong. I don't know how Jaleel is interconnected with Senna and her story. Because clearly this is like all about her. I don't know if his connection to David is what drew him in or if when we get his point of view book, we'll find out more from his point of view how he's connected into Senna. That's a good point. I really like that theory. Senna like summoned them to protect her Mm -hmm. to, you know, David is her champion, but she did draw all of them to that dock that morning. 
So it will be interesting to find out why why the others. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about that. Like, there's very much this, it's not just like these kids happened to be there and mm-hmm. there are right. random heroes. It's like they all show up to see Senna be taken, but then because of their interference and them getting pulled into Everworld, Senna does not get captured by Loki. Which was presumably and, her intent. Yeah, it seems like she's masterminding it. And she's definitely, like, coming on strong to David. All the stuff that you just said, Meg. And then David has that dream in the beginning before he wakes up and goes to Everworld where Senna is basically this, like, inhuman, like, sculptural creature who's, like, very cold and hard. And she's beautiful and she's, like, offering herself to him. But he's, like, you know, she's, like, inhuman. And then she eventually sort of like softens into his embrace. And he's like, oh my God, even though she's so mm-hmm. terrible, I still am really, really, really into it. We also get in that dream where she's talking to him, she calls him all of these names, which I think are like the kind of pro- thing where you get like a prophecy in a story and then you're like, oh, this played out in surprising ways. Um, so I'm pretty sure all of these will come to pass. I say pretty sure because of tropes, not because I remember. I really don't yeah. remember. Uh, she calls him David the Dragon Slayer, General David. David the Fool, Lord David, and more titles, more titles, all mocking, but as she went on, more bitter, more angry. Like she was seeing a list reeled off, a list she liked less and less. So it's like she is seeing the future of like what he's going to become in Everworld. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it was Senna's intent to bring all of them to Everworld because when they do show up on the dock, like just before Fenrir shows up, uh, Santa turns around, sees the four of them there. Then she gets a confused look on her face and she says, oh. no. And that's when Fenrir shows up. So I think she Ooh. wanted David for sure. I don't know if April and uh, Christopher have just like leftover exposure whammy from all the time they spent <laughs> around her. Yeah. So I'd be interested to see like if she only wanted David and then his connections to these other three or just like. Leftover magical siren radiation. I don't know what she has. I don't know what her deal <laughs> well, is. I really like that point, but that makes me more sure that Senna is not the person who was like expecting them and helping them once they cross into Everworld. Yes. Because there's this whole thing where they like fall off the cliff and they're like, oh, but we fell slowly. And like, they're like, maybe physics are weird, but like also maybe <laughs> someone like magically saved them, right? Like, and then there's the boat with the clothing like yeah. for three guys and a girl and their sizes. Right. So like, I almost feel like to me, that part of it, and even the Dave of the Dragon Slayer thing feels very like Narnia kids to me. Mm-hmm. Like someone knows that these kids are going to be like kings and queens of Everworld. <laughs> they're going to be these like human saviors and they're going to grow up and do all these awesome things. And this is them being like woven into their... Yeah, mythological or it's someone, tapestry. It's someone who's planning to use them, mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, I thought it was Elmist. Sort of come back to bite them. Elmist yeah. level shenanigans. Yeah, or it's Santa. <laughs> Santa That's does good. give gifts. It makes it sense. Does. This is a good theory. I'm so interested in whether Senna is like a girl who, or if she's like actually like a oracle type god right is person. she just like a girl with a weird heritage or weird weird abilities or is she someone in disguise as a girl is she right. a changeling is she yeah mm. i don't think she's actually april's half sister i think she got herself in with a family with like the most reasonable explanation that she could or so there's this weird thing where april and senna are like three months apart mm-hmm. and uh 
they share a father and Senna's mother, no one really knows. It's kind of like April's like, it's clear she took Mm -hmm. off, but no one ever says that. And I wonder if it was some situation of like, her mother put a whammy on April's father and then was like, here's this kid. Everworld mom. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like some kind of weird magic. And there's a bit towards the end where April says um, that when when her parents talk about Senna being gone, they look relieved. Oh, it's like yeah. they're they're acting upset, yeah. but it's covering relief. It's really heartbreaking, actually. I mean, it's only heartbreaking if she's not a fae. But it's a little right. heartbreaking for them to have this daughter that they feel like they should love, but somehow mm-hmm. can't or don't want around. My absolute favorite thing is the total nonsense around the parallel universes, like where they snap back and forth between normal world mm-hmm. and everworld. Like, I think it's so interesting. And like, I actually, I don't think that I care if it gets addressed as like a puzzle box type thing. But the to your point in the summary about how like are these kids getting any sleep or is there going to be brain damage? <laughs> like it's basically like there are two independent versions of them. One lives their life in normal world. Mm-hmm. One lives their life in Everworld. And when they are asleep in Everworld, they both occupy the They're, same like, snap back together. like mental space, yeah. and they have shared separate sets of memories. So basically the Everworld kids are like, oh, weird. I guess I still have this normal life to get back to like when I'm ready. And like it's, it's but like it doesn't seem like it's going that badly for me. But then like the kids who are not in Everworld are like, what is going on? Like <laughs> what has happened to me? I'm having these weird hallucinations. Like every couple of days Wait, I suddenly like is that get true, these new though? memories. Yeah. Yeah. The. It doesn't seem like they're in dialogue with themselves. No, but in the scene when they all snap into lunch, Christopher is like, he's he's normal Christopher. And he's like, I remember all that stuff. You know, like, you know, and then April's oh, talking yeah, yeah. about how when she's left behind, she's like, I feel like I'm going crazy. My friends think something's wrong mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. me. Right? Like, I'm really here for the, like, the drama inherent in, like, you suddenly get these weird, mm-hmm. you know, alternate reality memory dubs uh-huh. and you have no idea. Like, it's completely Yeah, out the of way control. Christopher like, describes that is Everworld Chris popped in yesterday evening, so I got a memory update. <laughs> Which I was like, well, that's interesting. And David, David mentions that his real world person who gets left behind doesn't act exactly like him, is a little more yeah. emotional, like mm-hmm. shows more emotion that he would try to hide. And so... This gives me, like, again, this book, because it's just the first book, it's just giving, like, a lot of theories and a lot of questions and not a lot of answers yet. But I'm wondering if it's not just straight up, like, oh, there's parallel versions of us, but if the Elemis-type character who's speaking in David's head, if he's controlling the four bodies that are left behind, he or she, whoever it is, or if it's part of Senna's plan, if this is, like, something she set up and it's, like, her view of who these people are and like that's what she's using to puppet the versions that are left behind. Mm. Ooh, I love Ooh, that. Ooh, I like that. I, it also reminds me of like, I don't know, sometimes in stories about doppelgangers, you get like the real one goes into the mirror and the image comes out and sort of acts like the person for a while, but then it, it can't really be held up. I also really love the metaphorical, like thematic implications of when they are asleep, they go back to the real world because it kind of casts the real world as the dream. And Everworld as the reality. And it's just a really fun switching. I wonder if anything will come of that or if it's just kind of a cool thematic element. Can we talk about the characters? Yeah, I really want to get in. So should we start with David? David. Our, our first protagonist. <laughs> he's yeah, he's the one the question. most to talk to. Yeah. But 
we could also probably get through some of the other ones more quickly. <laughs> yeah, Meg, you asked, is this, is this our friend David from the David Trilogy? And now I think all the facts don't line up. Like, not quite. It's interesting that, like, we're going to call them A, David, and B, David. A for Animorphs and B for basically David. Um <laughs> So, better David. Yeah. Definitely better. Yeah. But only by Lever so, world. <laughs> a David is younger and he he has just his dad, correct? I actually know. Did he, he have parents? parents. Oh, he has both his parents. Yeah. yeah, we don't really see his mom, but his dad is like with the NSA mm-hmm. and like he's the one who's in that fight, and then they both become controllers. Yeah. And I was just thinking, oh, David's military dad. Uh-huh. Yeah. Very similar parental figure Mm -hmm. i like b david i like his knowledge of weaponry uh vehicles machinery that seems like very authentically high school nerd who likes military stuff like i knew some i knew some kids like that he tries to play it off right like there's a one point where he's like when he's chained to the wall he looks up and he's like i guess if you like made me i would call it a parapet (laughs) right he's just like it's like, that's probably what it is. Like, I don't know. And then like two pages later, he's like, I was looking between the Merlins. And I'm like, this kid Kid. knows everything about castles. He knows all the castle words. He's just putting on this like slacker act. He's actually a huge nerd. This kid read the Cutaway Castles book. Oh, yeah. Yes. He also knows all the military terms and reminded me of Jake a lot in that way. Mm -hmm. In this, the explanation is that he has a father in the military as opposed to Jake just being a real nerd. Well, Jake was also leading a, a battle. And like learning about General Patton in the background and yeah. <laughs> being able to identify different kinds of ships. Whereas this one was like, that's a tank, that's a whatever. But there were several pages where he was just describing different kinds of like guns and stuff. And I was like, Apple Grant was in the military and I get that and I love that about them. But it is very <laughs> funny to me when that comes out. Were they, they had military families. Were they uh, in the military? They know a lot of stuff about stuff that I don't care yeah, about. That's definitely true. Because I don't. Well, no. so also David knows all about sailing. I, I thought it was really interesting the real world knowledge that they chose to have to give to the characters. And for David, one of the big things, like I assume military strategy will come up more, but like the sailing thing, like they're with the Vikings and he's like, oh yeah, these ships, like they don't have all these innovations that later ships had, but he does know like how to row and like gets really into it. And like, he clearly has his sea legs and like all of that. Oh yeah, I wonder what else they'll do with some of that knowledge. So rude when he was like, why haven't they figured out how to use multiple masts at this point? <laughs> like, okay, David. Well, that is an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Like, like, why did time sort of freeze? Did technology levels freeze in Everworld? Or is it just like, well, they have gods and magic, so they don't, like, develop things? Mm-hmm. Because it's not like in our world something external interfered to, like, make us develop technology. Like, that's just what happened with time. And I mean, unless you believe in aliens. I, you want you want a Watsonian explanation, and I can only <laughs> think of Doyleist ones. <laughs> My other question that is somewhat related to that is the idea of what time Everworld happened. The, the process that took them into Everworld, where all the gods left our world and went to Everworld, mm-hmm. and, like, brought some people with them for i don't know wait yeah, great brought- tell the story tell the story on the podcast what do we know about the story of everworld uh, what a great question let me find the note that i no just make it up i don't like <laughs> I, I, I vaguely remember it i read it so, this morning yeah you know 
Things were going normal as far as any of the Vikings knew. And then possibly aliens showed up or something. And all of the gods from our world left our world and went into Everworld. So Everworld is a place where all of the gods and all of the stories from our world are real. Here is Loki and his kids, Fenrir and the Jorgunder Worm. I do not know how to say that word out in real life, but that's what it is. Is that is that who the yeah, snake is? Jorgunder? <laughs> it's the Jormungunder Worm, I think is how you say it. Nice. I think it would make it a Jormungunder. Jormungunder. Thank you. Jormungunder. Things I have only With- ever read and not said out loud. Jormungunder Worm and Fenrir. Like, Loki exists. He has these kids and they are mythically proportioned. The trolls are there. You know, it's a whole thing. But from the Vikings' perspective, they were just kind of going along in their normal lives when suddenly things changed and Loki was real or like something like that. It's very unclear what has actually happened. And again, I referred you to my earlier question about what is happening. That wasn't the read that I got on it. The read I got was at some point, the gods all left our world, all the like mythical creatures left our world. And they brought, I think the text said like their people with them. So I guess some group of their worshipers. So these Vikings were like going along in the in like the normal earth world. They knew Loki was there. Then suddenly they were in a new world. Loki was still yeah. there. Um, and they all seem to know about the existence of our world. Like I think the implication is this split happened a long time mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. But it's not clear how long, but they all like these Vikings still seem to know like, oh, you're from like the original world or whatever. The yeah, they call world. them the old world. The but old like- world. And like the uh, the kids are like, yeah, we don't have like dwarves there or whatever. And like some Vikings like, of course not. That's because they're all here. Right. But there is there is timey wimey stuff going on because here's who we have. We have the Norse. We have the Egyptian. These are the pantheons. Norse pantheon, Egyptian pantheon. We have the Aztec pantheon. Um, we have the Greek pantheon. These are all called out. We also have like Atlantis. We oh, have yeah. elves and dwarves, which is maybe Norse. Mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming that that's, that's Norse related, but I'm not totally sure. And then we have some like aliens, like some definitely not right. Earth type yeah. creatures. Those are all the ones that are actually yeah. from our world, not the same that time That was the period. point I was going to There is no like, date. There is no date where you could say that did this not is where happen. the split right. like, They all intersect. Even, yeah. if you, even if you look at like historically... The first evidence we have of Vikings landing in what we call the New World, right? In like the this hemisphere is like 10 CE. But the height of the Aztec mm-hmm. emperor was the 1500s. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, like, exactly. And like, similarly, it, they're all a, roughly 500 to 1,000 years apart, right? 500 years before that is the height of the Romans. 500 years before that is the Greeks. 500 years before that is probably the Egyptians. You know, like, what the f*** is happening? And... There is something that I remember from my first reading as I know there is one more mythology that wasn't mentioned called out in this book that is from a completely different time what even like it? earlier. Don't say I'm going to tell you Grace so, a spoiler. Let me go let me go on a rant about this because this is this is I started thinking about this and I got really annoyed, right? <laughs> so too. like what do we get about like so we'll, we'll go back I Clearly, David was not interesting enough to hold our attention for more than five <laughs> yeah, minutes. We will go back and talk about his toxic masculinity and stuff. Uh, but like the David. the way the mythology is presented, it's such a like extreme teen boy. Like, oh yeah, like what do you like about Vikings and Aztecs? It's their it's bloody, it's warrior culture, right? Like 
Um, they seem to be like, oh, you know, like threatening to rape the token girl. They have slaves and they don't seem, no one seems to care. Like, it's like very much this kind of like, we're just looking at the mythologies and kind of like celebrating the the bloodthirsty, savage, patriarchal side of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I strongly, strongly suspect we're not going to get like a democratic, Nuanced. matriarchal, yeah. American Indian mm-hmm. society or like any of the other, like we're, we're, we're it's, it's all going to be about like extreme metal, like yeah. ancient civilizations clashing well, plus awesome. aliens, right? Like it's not really, it's, it's not really a, it's, it's not as interested in history, I think, as like yeah. stuff that feels cool about history. Well, it's also the thing that we saw in Animorphs where all of the uh, aliens were sexist in a very human way. And I think, I mean, probably the Vikings were sexist in this way. I, I, I don't no. know. Maybe I'm just assuming. But like... I suspect that all of the cultures we meet will be sexist in the same way. Yes. But racially diverse in a 90s way. <laughs> oh, but okay. Diversity in this book is a different topic. You're no, I just want to, can I just add onto your rant super, super fast and then go back to you just because this is. Please. I think I will revisit this topic. I'm going to yell about it a bunch too. But what I particularly was annoyed by in the same way that. Ted, kind of to to just play on what you were saying, the gods that they chose to represent these cultures, they picked one of a pantheon. And for the two gods whose conflict we are currently invested in, Loki versus, um, okay, here we go, Huitzilopochtli, I think. Potley. Huitzilopochtli. Yeah, so basically this he's the god, the patron god of Tenochtitlan, the the Mexica, like the the Aztecs, but is the god of war and death. And like they when they introduce Loki, it's like that's Loki, the god of destruction. And I was like, destruction? Not really. Like you are like choosing mischief. very specific aspects of these cultures to emphasize and yeah. it's because you are choosing the most military, most warlike, you know, most aggressive aspects of this culture, mm-hmm. which I think is a very kind of one-dimensional choice. Like this could have been an entire thing about, you know, the Penantes and like the the goddesses of the hearth in these different cultures and like how do we keep a home together when we are apart from it, right? Like there are lots of different ways you could do this. Mm-hmm. And what they chose was, we're going to pretend Loki's a god of war. And it's like, but he's not. Why are you doing that? <laughs> anyway, I was very annoyed yeah. by that as well. This is something I think we're really going to dive into the next book, which I am pretty sure is going to be the Aztec book, the way that this was the the Nordic book, where they are going to play up the quote unquote barbarity of these ancient cultures. And that Mm -hmm. there was a line that April said where she's like, oh, I think I tricked them because we just come from a more cynical age. We're just better because we're from the future and we don't believe in anything. And I'm like, ah. April also had a thing about, like, um, David's going on about what he likes about Everworld, which is, like, adventure. Our lives are so boring. What are we just going to, like, grow up and, like, live in the suburbs? And April has this thing where, like, okay, so people were, like, killing and, like, torturing or whatever each other for so long. And now we've managed to find some time without that. And, like, you're putting that down. And that is, like, such a 90s, like, end of history, like, type of statement where, like, we have finally ascended to peace. Where she's, like... There's no one who's enslaved anymore. And I'm like, oh, April, (laughs) that is incorrect. April, you got to get woke. (laughs) 
Also, 1999 was like an entire time period all in itself. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's like one, again, David's perspective there is like so male. And like what (laughs) this fantasy is offering him is such a like male power fantasy of like, oh, I don't. I'm going to throw off the shackles of suburbia and row in my Viking <laughs> ship to war. This right, is like, the happiest I've ever been. Yeah, like, I, I mean, Gently down come on, street. man. Like, that's going to that's gonna get old and you're going to, like, die of malnutrition. Yeah. Like, it's not going to be a sexy thing. And, like, maybe Valhalla does exist and you are going to get to, like, party forever. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe it's, there's a different drink, metaphysical so. thing going on. It's a personal choice. <laughs> But also, I feel like that the end of history thing is also true, but it came off to me as like such a like Gen X slacker generation rant where he's like, oh, you know, like nothing's interesting about life anymore. You know, like he has this like dumb, like 90s teen movie protagonist Uh feeling. uh To jump off that and circle way back because we're talking about David's character, but none of us are really interested in him. This is definitely... I want to go into Tashi Station and pick up some power converters. Like, part of his journey. <laughs> He's our, our farm boy, quote unquote. He's our suburban boy who's like, I dream of more adventure. My first impression of David is quite poor. But I feel he's yeah. going to be growing a lot over the story. Especially if he gets away from my theorized whammy from Senna. I'll be interested to see if, like, <laughs> is she driving him towards, like, you have to be a hero, you have to save everyone? Or if is this, again, just, like, his innate repressed maleness? Because uh, there were a couple interesting scenes with him where really horrible stuff was happening around him that, like, grown-ups were doing around him. Like, he had his flashback to camp where a kid was being molested. And then he had a flashback to a coach just like screaming and humiliating someone else on his team. And he didn't have the courage to step in either of those situations. No, he, and he's oh no, always he regretted that. He in stepped in the second one. one. Really badly. That was it. And it ended badly. And the person he was defending like screamed at him. So we're setting up a lot of potential in this character, but nothing that I'm really excited for right now. Yeah, I did. I definitely had the thought while reading, like he has a, he, he's very cynical And he has this, like, a little bit of, like, darkness in him that did make me think of David from the Animorphs. And I was like, did they decide they wanted to take, like, a sort of similar, like, I don't know, a basic character model and be like, okay, but what if he didn't go through this traumatic experience when he was, like, 13? And what if instead um, he got to grow up a little bit and then he got to do this thing? I don't remember David from the Animorphs having a particular, like, chip on his shoulder about being a coward versus being brave. I will I will never ever humor. I like I do like the idea the name similarity David A David B. But like this David, he has like a he has this toxic masculinity like I can't be a coward thing. But David was like unashamedly a coward and always looking out for himself. That's true. And David this has David this like monomaniacal side mm-hmm. where like Everworld David he has this the cowardice is tied up with like wanting to save people or protect people. Mm-hmm. And like David That's A true. doesn't have a okay. bone of that in his That's body. So fair. he's a that is fair. he's what we would call a dino, which is a David in name only. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it very much. That's awesome. That's so good. No, you're right. He's not really the same. I I disliked him much less than I disliked. I also I'm just going to make a point that he cannot be. This is this is canonically not the Animorphs universe, <laughs> right? Yeah. Because the cube square law exists. 
Yes, I noticed that. <laughs> Jaleel explains. Jaleel explains about the cube square law and how. The wolf and the snake can't actually be that big because they wouldn't be able to support their own weight. And uh-huh. because Jaleel knows that fact, and we know that physics doesn't work like that in the Animorphs universe, <laughs> completely different worlds. There will not be a crossover. I love the Animorphs, but they were so dumb. <laughs> they were children. We don't need to go off on the Square Cube law again. I've said my piece about Animorphs 24. Okay, so David, should we move on to Christopher? Well, I have some more I have some more things to register. I I first pegged him as a total Holden Caulfield character. Mm-hmm. He's not as bad as Holden Caulfield, but he has a little bit of that. He likes to say whatever a lot. He only gets three radio stations, and one of them is a classic rock radio station, and he doesn't like it. Yeah, what's with that? Not only does he not what like it. What kind of monster kid is this? He doesn't like it on the same level as he doesn't like a political station and a religious station. And he's like, I can't yeah. tell which of these three stations I hate most. What? Yes, you can. Classic rock in the 90s was like the 60s. That is a great the classic rock classic station. station. Nobody likes music in this, except for April, and then everyone makes fun of her for it. Despite her wide-ranging and very excellent musical taste. I would say, so like his, I guess the toxic masculinity stuff, there's like no end to what we could could talk about there. But like the, the thing, and I think I sort of glossed over this before, but the thing that jumps up out to me about how stupid his fantasy of an escape into Everworld is, is like there's this whole dynamic where the... The Vikings have like tons of slaves, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it's it's the book goes out of its way to say, oh well, the head of the Vikings is a black man because mm-hmm. they have intermarried with all the other gods' peoples throughout time. And so like at least well. this isn't just like um, it's not supposed to be feel like black slavery from a, a America or whatever. But still, yeah. he comes into the society. He gets asked point blank, "So are you a slave or not?" And he says, "I am not a slave." And all the Vikings are like. Okay, that's cool. And then he sees all these people going around like not free and it doesn't bother him at all. He's like, yeah. I can just hang out with the people who have power here and I don't care about the fate of anybody else. Like, mm-hmm. uh-huh. he, and he's not even confronting with like, even like April's thing about like, oh, we're just like more cynical than them. These like primitives or whatever. Like they're people. There's there's no reason not to think they're real people. Like yeah. how does he, how do they not have basic? I mean, I know they're teens, but how do they not have basic empathy for all of the things that they're seeing around yeah. them? Right? Like, it's just like yeah. such a selfish and narrow-minded I mean, they view. Are, they are like desperately trying to stay alive. I could see why they wouldn't like have a lot of energy to spare for other people who are in bad situations. Right, but, but he's not, he's being like, Everworld is so great. That right? is true, like, that is true. He does have that, yeah. Senna, Senna took everyone's empathy away. That's it. She magically right. whammy. <laughs> the, other, the magical whammy. The other thing I want to call out about David that I thought was really weird and the David and April thing. So at one point when they are back in our world, the old world, David's like, oh my God, is it real? I have to know. So he breaks into Senna's bedroom. Yeah. He runs eight blocks and is like, I know this is weird, but like, I just need to know, you know, like, well, if it's all fake, Senna will think I'm weird, but like, it's <laughs> worth it. And then he breaks in and then April is like, I thought you might try this. <laughs> what does this say about date? Like, I would I would not imagine that at all. Like, does he, like, why would she think that? Is he like a huge creeper? Um, no, I feel like... Because the question is, like, we saw Senna disappear into this world. If she's still here in the normal world, then it didn't happen. Also, I don't... Like, Senna might have answers. Let's go find Senna. It's the middle of the night. Yeah. I don't know. That didn't strike me as that weird. I also don't know if this is, like, seeding future conflict. But then, like, the bit where he and April are in the room and he's like, oh, but 
April's really pretty too. I could just like kiss her. Yeah. And I'm like, ugh, gross. So yeah, I have I have some shipping projections, and I think that David will realize that April is a real person with feelings, and she's happy, and that's so much better than a mystery girl who's also beautiful, but like in a different way. Uh, so I think David and April are gonna. I don't ship it. They'd I have don't to really ship it. it. I don't want no, it to I think happen. That's, that's just where happen. I see. Yeah. Like, that's where I think yeah. it's going. For sure. I mean, I want to ship David and Christopher. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's the only way that we can save Christopher as a character. We'll get there. <laughs> but I could definitely see that some of his like masculine trauma being like dealing with his sexuality or something like that. That could definitely Ooh, be a direction be for I mean, things I think to go it's, in a future book. Would be nice. And in particular, the like... And like, obviously, the ways that gender is such a thing for him, I could see easily going in that direction where he's afraid of his feminine side. But uh, I do not believe that the books will deliver this this hope. I'm pretty sure I would have remembered if they did that. But, you know, maybe not. I like the idea, though. So let's just talk about Christopher. I don't understand him. He's a completely pointless character. He's allegedly funny, but he doesn't land a single good joke in this entire book. Yeah, I was trying to figure out, like, because clearly he's supposed to be filling the Marco role, but Mm -hmm. I was like, why don't I like him as much as Marco? And I had, like, five different He seems to be kind of like a... A, like a jockey guy but then david like outmans him at every turn so like what is his role he's like <laughs> foil generic beta male like you but, know i don't know okay literally that because he was senna's first choice and then when david came along she's like david oh, is so much yeah. better than christopher in every way goodbye but chris what if david oh, no. is just more damaged and easy to mal- manipulate that might be like, it david just has more of like a saving people thing as hermione yeah, would say christopher does have a lot of uh, unbased confidence. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like, I mean, I think you're right, Ted, that like none of his jokes are funny. Like Marco actually is very funny in Animorphs. Like he fills a really important like comic relief role. And I, Christopher just was not doing it as well. And I think part of the reason that I didn't like him was we do get like Marco is Jake's best friend in the invasion. So like, you know, they're being friendly and like there's this, you know, the main character likes him. So you like him. And here David does not like him. So you don't like him. But I think there was also an element of like a lot of his humor, like Marco's, unfortunately, is like putting other people down or like playing into stereotypes. And I think it reads differently when he's like, a big blonde athletic guy instead of like a short Hispanic guy. Like mm. it just has a different weight. Like I don't think it's okay for short Hispanic guys to like make fun of like women or like be sexist or racist mm-hmm. or whatever. But like it's like a little bit less unsympathetic, the kind of humor that Marco uses when it's him. I laughed at one joke. Uh, it was near the beginning. He just, he said something about. David's nose that for some reason just cracked me up where he's like, how do you breathe through that? You're going to need to get a new nose, which like <laughs> that one. Got- <laughs> well, when you say it, it's funny. <laughs> Maybe it's all about the delivery. Yeah. And I do know that the next book is going to be a Christopher book because mm. the preview chapter was in here. Oh. So I'm really excited that they're switching protagonists around. I'm mm-hmm. not excited to hear from Christopher, but maybe it'll save him for me. Maybe. I, it could just be an entire book where he's whining about how cool <laughs> David is, in which case I will hate both of them all the more. But ship them even more. But ship them even more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish Christopher had been a girl. I wish that oh. Senna had dumped okay. Christopher for David. Can we yeah. do a diversity sidebar? 
I feel like this was... So they did Animorphs, and they're like, okay, five characters, so we're going to have two girls and two people of color. And they're like, Everworld, they're like, I don't know, let's do four characters. Okay, only one girl, only one person of color. I'm like, I guess they do at least explicitly have a Jewish character now. But like, I, I recognize that like numbers are not the be-all end-all of diversity. Mm-hmm. But like that is kind of how Apple Grant does diversity where yeah. they're like some white kids and then a couple people who aren't. And like this, so there are four characters, three of them are white, one of which is David who is Jewish and uh, Jaleel is black. And I was just like, okay, did you guys just like kind of get tired of doing as much diversity? Like this was your thing. Like Michael Grant wrote a whole letter about it. Like you just, I don't know, Senna is also white. Like you just wanted to have only one character of color. And only one girl, which makes, like, the two girls. It's a little bit the Cassie and Rachel thing where they're, like, yeah. the opposites. You have the aloof, cool beauty. And then the, like, real girl who's, like, fun and smart and, like, witty. Yeah. And, like, just be able to imagine multiple characters who are girls and not... You don't have to put them at, like, absolute extremes right. in order to have them function as different people. They are Anna and Elsa. <laughs> Because of all of the like man feelings that David needs to express in this book, uh-huh. I feel like April gets really boxed in to her gender mm-hmm. yeah. in a way that is like I'm not that interested in. It, That's the problem with there being only well, one. Right. And I think I mean this is a I I feel like it's a pretty well observed dynamic for me of like if you're hanging out with a group of high school guys and like one girl tags along, the kind of like girl who fits in in that group or like the kind of like, oh, I'm just one of the guys, that kind of thing. I feel like April has, <laughs> Grace pointing to herself. <laughs> I kind of feel like April has a lot of that and that it's like pretty well realized, but it's not, I feel like it sucks because she's so much playing a role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm saying that, that is part of her character explicitly. Like yeah. she's supposed to be she's really into yeah. theater. Yeah. And she's like, at the one point, she like manipulates Christopher by like being like, I want to have sex with you in this crappy little boat. And he's like, maybe? And then she shuts him down. That was funny. That was where she's like, she's funny. That was funny. She's the I funny I got you one. to believe in a miracle. Oh, she, she's not funny. She's a woman. They're not funny. Oh, no. No, April's great. But like, I do want, I do want like all April all the time. And, mm-hmm. and Jaleel. April I agree. And Jaleel. Yeah. Both interesting. And both like, like a not, I don't know. Uh, listen, Amendation for anyone who doesn't get sarcasm. I think women are very funny. <laughs> but yeah, when Ted, when you said that the next book was a Christopher book, I was actually gutted because I was hoping it was April yeah. next. She's great. Yeah, yeah, they're the two. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to like, be, just because I did the like pointing to myself thing in that last bit. So I feel like this is one of those tropes where you get a, you know, the girl who hangs out, all of her friends are guys and she's like one of the guys and she's into sports and like can hang out and like be cool, right? And mm-hmm. I definitely like leaned real hard into that stereotype when I was younger, especially in like middle school and high school. And I regret that so much because I do think that a lot of that is internalized misogyny and being mm-hmm. like and learning mm-hmm. more Not from like society girls. that it's easier to hang out with guys you don't have to do as much work like you can have it can be much more casual like much more chill you could just have fun with it and mm-hmm. that having friends who are girls is hard work and you have to like deal with emotions and like if you're not into that then maybe you just 
kind of go hard in the other direction. And that is all very misogynistic. It is a stupid societal pressure to do that. And I distinctly, like, I regret now in my old age not having really formed those relationships with other women when I was younger. Mm. And having had the experiences earlier on of people saying, that's great, Gray, but like, how do you feel about that? Like, what are your actual emotions at this time, (laughs) instead of just kind of skating over them? And that's not to say that all the guys I hang out with do that, right? Like, that is also not true. That's Mm -hmm. also a stereotype. They were all delightful human beings. And I adore them all to this day. It's just like a weird trope. And it's particularly weird in this situation, knowing that this is the group that wrote Animorphs. Like, that wrote Rachel. Rachel. And then you're going to come here and um, April's great. She really is. But you gave me April and then these four Jamokes? Like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I feel like there were ways in which they fell down in diversity in Animorphs that they could have improved upon in this book. And instead, they just took away some of the good things that they did in Animorphs. They yeah. just did less instead of improving. Because, yeah. like, April is so much the chick. Yeah. And Senna is like, the like not even manic pixie dream girl like the i thought she was gonna be but she's like she's more of like a ice queen yeah ice queen yeah evil evil she's the edward cullen (laughs) oh she is the edward cullen yeah (gasps) and david she doesn't even tell david he should stay away from her she tells him to run away from other people instead that's true but towards her other thoughts on april I love that we have a theater kid. One thing I think I mentioned at some point we didn't have the Animorphs at all was a kid who was into music or performance yeah. or acting or anything like that. And I'm Cassie so glad. Cassie nice is neat. <laughs> but she doesn't want to sing the songs, yeah, I assume. True. Yeah, the the thing where April can sing also comes in mm-hmm. super handy. And like, I, I talked a little bit about like, the few advantages that the kids have mm-hmm. in this time period. Like they have sneakers, which is really cool. They keep talking about how teenagers and sneakers can outrun like grown men in boots. And they have like this amassed knowledge of like the creative output of our society yeah. that like no one in this society has heard. It's like that movie where the guy yesterday is the only one who remembers the songs of the Beatles <laughs> and then he like gets really famous. It's like that kind of power. Yeah. It's really fun to see them exercise it. Yeah. And she, the whole, I like, it's totally absurd. And I, I, I kind of want the whole series to be about this, for them to be like wandering minstrels. Like I'm assuming <laughs> that they will eventually become like prophesied heroes. But like <laughs> this whole thing where like, it's basically that scene from Back to the Future, right? Yes! Where like They're like, yeah. sing a song for us Vikings. And she breaks out like... Killing uh, me softly. Killing, killing me softly. softly. Mm-hmm. Uh, no moves them and like it moves them to tears and i'm like it totally (laughs) would like it's like it's such a universal right right oh i i love that this is something real fast about all the kids i did like how each of them was able to get us out of a bad situation in a different way oh yeah like when we're lost in the castle uh jaleel's able to remember what hell where they brought us down from so this is the way we need to go to get out and like David was able to stab a guy in the neck. Um, and <laughs> April was able to His swordsmanship them. was yeah. perhaps unrealistically good. Well, I think the Elemist character is doing some stuff with David. Mm. <laughs> and then when the Vikings are like seeing something else, Christopher is able to quickly rewrite the lyrics to Battle Hymn of the Republic. Christopher did yeah, it. They scanned job. surprisingly well. Yeah. So as much as like we don't enjoy the personalities of most of these characters, I'm like I like that everyone got a unique chance to shine inside their particular skill yeah. set. 
I I agreed with that, but I did not value Christopher's contribution as much as the rest. <laughs> I I'm sorry, Christopher. You really got to earn it. <laughs> Maybe in his next book. I think you're just biased against surfer dudes. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> no, I didn't. Yeah, I I do think that Christopher's like being able to do that under pressure with like a bunch when everyone else was like freaking out and just frozen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was pretty good. Um, and can we talk about April's yes. choice of music? Yes. So she, of course, she's the only one who was at the the pier with a backpack. So she has all of the supplies. Oh my gosh! Sidebar: resource scarcity and like inventory is so it satisfying. Made me so happy because. Just as a reminder to everyone listening to this podcast who knows me in person, in case of zombie apocalypse, you're going to want my backpack. You're not going to want me. That is an important distinction. I will be useless to you. My backpack will be very useful. It has a multi-tool. It has a lot of drugs. It has a first aid kit. All of that I carry around with me all of the time. Senna should have brought And I loved that when she, she was like, yeah, I've got my backpack. It's got, you know, some stuff in it. And then they do an inventory of what's in her backpack. And I was like, this is a well-stocked teenager's backpack. I'm very into it. I liked that very much. And it includes her CD player. I have the inventory. Will you read us the inventory? 57 Advil. A Sony personal CD player with headphones. Four AA batteries mostly charged. An Alanis CD, the Lilith Fair CD, Bach, and Rent CDs. Two books, Great Poetry of the English Language and Chemistry, Principles and Application. One spiral notebook, a pencil, a felt-tip pen, and two ballpoint pens. Tampons. Those are going to come back in a story significant way later. I bet every single item on that list is going to be significant. And I bet they put a lot of thought into which books yeah. she should have. Of course, yeah. Two more things in April's backpack, which is Kalinanique, Blusher, and Keys. The things I loved in that bag include, but are not limited to, that is an excellent, excellent selection of CDs. I would listen to all of those in a heartbeat. Love them very, very much. <laughs> However, I just want to point out that as great as Christopher's rewrite to the Battle Hymn of the Republic was, they were faced Mm -hmm. with a Viking horde demanding poetry, and no one thought, we have the best English poems of whatever in her backpack. Why don't we whip (laughs) that out and just see what we got? (laughs) When David started quoting the Jabberwocky, and they're like, what is this nonsense? But like, greatest English poems start at the beginning see what they like. I might have like, in his position, I might also have quoted Jabberwocky because it's one of the things that I know by heart to say out loud. And of course, they'd be like, this is these are real words. This is nonsense. I I really want them to do like a seasons of love, like seasons of raiding type (laughs) Viking song. Seasons of vibes. 525,600 widows. Keep it coming, Megan. 525,000 women who weep. Except that a lot of the women went with them on the ship. That's true. But probably not to the battlefield, even though there are historical records of uh, women Viking warriors who were like buried with the full regalia and gear and everything. Yeah. But you know. Women in history were pretty weak. They like you put them in the yeah. rain and they just I mean, die. we are made of sugar. <laughs> Cuz they're witches. That's why. Okay, also, it all makes sense now. <laughs> also, every culture is sexist in the same way. Mm-hmm. This is what we know. Except for in The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson, where they have a really unique and fun way of being sexist. <laughs> well, clearly <laughs> Applegrand didn't write that. Can we talk about Let's do it. now? Yeah. I 
love Jaleel. Mm-hmm. Jaleel is my favorite. Mm-hmm. I felt like it was going to be reductive because the first note I took about him was Black Spock. <laughs> and then they okay. lampshade that um, <laughs> themselves in the book. So I feel a little bit like that's definitely what they were going for. But he's awesome. He cares about exactly the same things I care about, which is how does any of this work? Um, How are we going to use this chemistry textbook to like change things around here? Yeah, yeah. And he just seems to be like, he just seems to be a little bit of the like aloof Sherlockian nerd type um, in the same way that Spock is, which I really like. We've been watching a lot of community. And so I definitely went to an Abed place, but it's it's much more a Spock energy. Like Mm -hmm. he doesn't have the like hyper thing that Abed has. He is the more like slow, like. Yeah, I liked his, I loved his energy. I also really liked how they're talking about, you know, where are we? What's happening? And he goes, there must be an explanation. I understand that there were gods and that that, you know, wolf couldn't possibly exist, but there will be an explanation. It will involve science and I refuse to accept anything else. I was like, great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his thing about the supernatural, I really loved the very logical, I mean, to go to a Spock place, but like just a really appealing, like logical thing where he's like, nature means everything that exists. So something supernatural is not possible because if it exists, it's part of nature. And I was like, you are speaking like, I mean, I love the idea of like magic and supernatural, but like this kind of like word argument is like speaking to my soul, <laughs> Jaleel. You understand me. And then the when he spots the um, the Colombian exchange vegetables and plants, yes. like he's like, Vikings don't have tomatoes. This is interesting. And everyone's like. Uh, excuse me, there <laughs> are gods. That's a great point. <laughs> I know, but like, Jaleel, I'm here for this. Like, powers of observation. He's like, I, I hope there is a, like, world-building mystery for him to solve in the books yeah. to come. Because I'm really into it. And I like how he followed that up with, this is proof it's not my dream. Because I wouldn't be stupid enough <laughs> to include this. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a little bit brattier than Spock, too, which is great. <laughs> I don't know. Spock had an attitude. Great. Do you have any thoughts on how Jaleel would react if Axe were explaining Z-Space to him? I believe that Jaleel would respond exactly as I respond, which is, this is all made up. (laughs) Shut up. Please stop talking about this completely nonsense thing. Thank you. Also, we have referenced the Elemist several times that there is some sort of Elemist character who's like talking to David and saying things like, go for the neck when he's in his first sword fight. And I would just like to say, mm. if there is another Elemist character in this series as well, <laughs> I quit. Maybe it's the same Elemist character because the Elemist should transcend so, everything, right? <laughs> no, we do know that. So when David entered Everworld, some Elemist oh, being yeah. rifled through his memories. I'm so sorry, Greg. And had a voice. But like, it could have been Senna. It could have just could been, have been a god. There are a lot of gods. God. It's it Santa could have been a Ketwan. It was Santa. <laughs> Any of those I'm fine it with. Was, as long as it's not the Elemist. You're okay with Santa? Okay. So should we just call them Santa or Saint Saint Nick? Elemist Claus. Elemist Claus. Mm. Santa Mist. The Santa Mist. <laughs> um, would we like to talk very briefly about Senna? Because I have an interesting thing about her. Yeah, I mean, I feel like we don't, like, Senna is such, we've talked about her as an ice queen, like, she is sort of the, like, beautiful, distant woman, but, like, I appreciate that at least it's, like, oh, yeah, she's also, like, a witch and maybe evil, like, it's not just, like, I don't know, some women are just mysterious. She's got a huge mouth, Julia Roberts. Oh, yeah. I thought just the lips, but I guess... Oh, maybe yeah. it's... No, right, because Julia Roberts well, okay. was also the, well, like, big lips, right? if her lips right, were but... big, but her mouth is small, like, that doesn't make any sense. It's gotta be both. 
That's just all I all I so the the actually one of the passages I really loved is when she's like statue Senna like making out with David in his dream mm-hmm. and her like she like shakes her head and her hair like is like whipping him because like her hair is like <laughs> made of like stone or something. I really liked that image. She's bad news. She's, oh, yeah. she's definitely evil. Gray, what did you want to add in about Senna? Oh, so uh Senna is a form of Norse poetry, Edic poetry, consisting of an exchange of insults between participants that ranges from the use of expletives to accusing an opponent of moral or sexual impropriety. In fact, there is an Edic poem called Lokasena, which consists of a duel of words between Loki and several other Norse gods. Cool. I'm intrigued by this. Interesting. I like that. Anything else to say about Senna? So they pretty much indicate there's something supernatural about her from the very beginning. Because at the end of chapter two, when she and David are kissing, each time she opened her lips to me, I felt another part of myself drained away and I didn't care. That's in the conversation where she's like, I can see things before they happen and something bad is coming and will you save me? And he's like, yes, I'll save you. And as she keeps kissing him, she'll, she repeats this question throughout the whole book of like, will you save me? And he's like, yes, of course. And anyway, he's <laughs> under some sort of sentence way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just like, it's like real bad gender vibes all around. Yep. Like yeah. she's, she's playing into this, like, I'm a damsel in distress, but I'm actually super powerful and you're going to destroy the world by listening to me. Mm-hmm. Like. It's not, it's not nice. Well, it's the version of witches that sap your sexual prowess. Like, it's right. it's that kind of version, as opposed to many of, you know, any of the other versions of witches that we have, exper- you know, seen throughout history. But I thought it, it is an interesting, like, as a character choice, having a teen girl who's maybe magical and a witch and gets pulled into a different world is like, I don't hate that as a premise. It's just the execution is questionable so far david's got witches in his britches (laughs) (laughs) he wishes i this is just actually a thing that i really liked and an example of the the pros in this book before senna kind of gives david the prophecy at the beginning they're talking about the fight david's nose being broken um and then uh, david makes a self-deprecating joke and then it says she smiled teeth blue and gold from a blockbuster sign we were passing which I, like I loved as a piece of prose and a 90s and reference. And a 90s reference. <laughs> what a great segue. Should we talk 90s references? It's a sign of the times. I wrote them all down that I spotted. Oh, yeah, I have like a long list. <clears throat> so actually, there's a subset here. I don't know if these are 90s references or Chicago references. Oh. So like, was the Chicago stuff all exciting? I loved it. I got very into the Chicago stuff. Is the Dan Ryan Expressway Yeah, thing? I grew up six houses away from the Dan Ryan. Yeah, what? and they call it the Dan Ryan. They do not use the number. So if you're ever listening to a traffic report in Chicago and they say traffic on the Dan Ryan is whatever, it will confuse the everlasting daylights out of you because that isn't a number. <laughs> and it's not. it doesn't say on any of the signs. Oh, evil. Can you describe for me what a Lincoln Park yuppie beard is? It's a hipster beard. Uh, there was some really great Chicago stuff where, where they're located is... so. I, I have a vague idea based on how long it took him to get to the lakefront and the fact that he had to cross Sheridan. And I got very excited because, like, Chicago's <laughs> a big city, but it's cool. I get, I get excited when I see Chicago references to places because, you know, as you know from our 
Animorphs discussion, you'll never know where we are or where we live, but it's possible <laughs> that I grew up in Chicago. But we'll never know. Do we have more Chicago thoughts? Should we move on to 90s? Let's do 90s. So there were a lot of very specific references, like more than I think we've seen, than more than we saw in the later Animorphs books, yeah. definitely. But we mentioned Julia Roberts' lips, go-to uh, fancy woman of the 90s, blockbuster sign. Given that it was 1999 in Chicago, there were an appropriate number of references to the 90s Chicago Bulls starring Michael Jordan. There were so many references to Michael Jordan, like multiple times. It's because that's how you know it's in Chicago in the 90s. It's all we could talk about for a decade. Uh, I have Tweety Birds and Looney Tunes when he got punched in the face. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Wait, is that still, that's still a thing? But he also, he had to distance himself from it. He was like, from one of those old cartoons. Right. <laughs> I'm offended that those don't still exist. They do, and they're coming out with new ones. Yes, there's some new ones that just came really? out. Bugs has his yellow gloves wow. instead of white gloves, referencing some shorts from the 40s in which he had yellow gloves instead. But uh, huh. I was hoping for a Space Jam ref. You know, but didn't get one. (laughs) It's the perfect storm. Oh, man. Can you imagine if they went back to non-Everworld and, like, had seen a classic, like, they saw The Matrix or something, and then are like, oh, wow, like, my normal self went to the movies and saw The Matrix. (laughs) (laughs) That would be so weird. Never mind, never mind. I love that. I I have another, not a 90s reference, but an attempt at the 90s reference when he talks about being... He compares, David compares himself to Faye Ray being picked up by King Kong. And I was like, who knows, who knows Faye Ray's name? I don't know this. I know Faye Ray's name. You knew, you knew Faye Ray's name as a, as a 90s. I don't know if I did when I was As a 90s kid, a you would be like, oh yeah, not like the woman from King Kong, <laughs> right? Like, like, I probably didn't when I was a teenager. I feel like it is like her name really exists like in association with that in pop culture, but like. Yeah, that struck me as one of Apple Grant's, like, they watched a movie last night. adults, yeah. From the 60s, <laughs> like The Fly or whatever, and then had to reference it in the book they were writing. We've got, of course, the Alanis Morissette CD and Lilith Fair. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Rent? And Rent. Rent is so 90s. There, I know from um, my faint memory, there's going to be more Rent in this series. I'm so yes. excited. Christopher apparently believes that the popularity of gangsta rap is behind them in 1999. Yep, good point. This is an interesting uh-huh, attempt to uh-huh. get into the minds of the youth. <laughs> we had some Titanic. Titanic. Yeah, yeah very and good Titanic. one of the boys didn't get the reference. he never seen it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, it's a girl movie for girls. Oh, good point. So David has a Radiohead t-shirt. Super cool. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, cool. Killing Me Softly is in itself... And that was 90s, right? That was an 80s? Yeah, Killing Me Softly is from the 70s. Yeah. Really? Okay, well then just cut that out. It was very... I don't know. There was a version of Killing Me Softly that won a Grammy in 97. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. So Killing Me Softly, a 90s reference because of the Grammy thing Gray just mentioned. Also a 70s reference. Also an Apple Grant best of reference. Because the Fudgies, aka the Fugees are featured in this book as well as being referenced by Cassie's mom in uh, the reaction. I very much appreciated that. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. They covered um the original yeah. Roberta Flack version. And the Rodney King reference. Oh yeah. The real has yeah. a more like uh at, le- at least 
the way that Jaleel talks about being black and they're like aware of like racial profiling. David and Jaleel have this thing of like, yeah, you know, like we looked out for each other when like the black kids were being mean to me and the white kids were being mean to him. Like Mm -hmm. it's like it's I feel like this is like Apple Grant intentionally being like in middle grade race doesn't exist and then in YA (laughs) we have to acknowledge it but like not delve too deeply. That's the thing I like about Jaleel is he is very blunt about that. He's like, by the way, all black guys don't want any one thing. Oh, wait, no, we do all want not to be stereotyped by ignorant white trash. Harsh but fair. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, When they mentioned someone called the cops and David was like, but I didn't do anything. And Jaleel's like, they'll arrest me on principle. Let's let's get out of here. So, yeah, that also felt very 2020. I don't think we're going to go any deeper than that. I think what we got in this first book might be all we get until maybe we get to Jaleel's book, but I feel like the point of his character was just to point out this about himself. And I don't I don't have faith that Apple Grant is going to either go deeper or do a very nuanced job going deeper than this. But I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I do think it's a step up from Animorphs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and like Christopher, the reason that Jaleel makes that comment is that Christopher's like made some crack about like him being black. And like that is something we saw Marco make a lot of offensive jokes and we never saw him make a joke about race, I don't think. And it was it was very much that like middle grade racism doesn't exist. But don't worry. Guess who does make a joke about race? It's Christopher. Because Jaleel, like they were talking about something or other and Jaleel's like, so you didn't notice that like the Viking Lord was black? And Christopher's like, are you sure he wasn't just really tan? Yeah. yeah. Oh, was that a His joke? second terrible. Huh. Well... <laughs> or, or it's like really f***ed up. I was assuming that was a joke that didn't land, but... I think it was meant to be a yeah, joke. Yeah. Yeah. With Christopher, who can tell? Pretty much. Yeah. It's okay. He'll probably die in the next book, and then we won't have to read three books from his And then we'll have a trilogy of... Uh, sorry, a trio of a trio. characters. I have more 90s references. We had a reference to Jerry Seinfeld on his best night, which was like, that's your go-to comedian. There was a reference, I don't know that this is purely a 90s reference, but it really like pinged as 90s for me. The sky looked like that blue sky wallpaper you get on Windows computers. Yeah. Like yeah. that is very like 90s, Windows 95. early 2000s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they go to Borders Bookstore. And also, so David works at Starbucks. He's like a 17-year-old training to be a barista. He earns eight fifty an hour plus tips. This was 21 years ago, I looked up the average hourly wage of a Starbucks barista. It is $9.15 to $14.40 an hour. Like $9.15 up from $8.50, 21 years. What is wrong with our society? The end. Great, great question. It's because all the gods left. That's what it was. They all left in 1998. And they took minimum wage with them. Or they left it here and it's not allowed to change. Kind of like how... Sorry, this is jumping over into Everworld a little bit, but like obviously they've been in Everworld for a very long time and they've been intermarrying with the other cultures that are there and have been doing trade with the other cultures that are there. But the Vikings still follow their very traditional, this is how we sail our ships, this is how we dress. And it's interesting to me to be like, is the culture mandated that it has to remain in stasis? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Because if they're doing... Like, do the gods yeah. demand that? 
Or does, like, the magic demand yeah, that? Yeah, they are, like, connecting with other tribes. They have contact with other civilizations. They have, you know, marriages from other civilizations. I think I'm just repeating everything I just said. What I'm saying is they know there's more <laughs> out there. Why are they all holding on so tight to exactly how they were when they came in? Great question. I think that's a great analogy, and it just makes me feel even worse about Jenny's point. Right? Like, <laughs> like the, the Vikings come over to our world, and they're like, oh, so, like, if I go to work at Starbucks, I'll be making more, at least adjusted for inflation, right? And then Dave is going to be like, no, we have to keep the minimum wage at Starbucks low because of the economy. And the Vikings like... Jeez, wow, these guys are so backwards and primitive. They haven't they haven't changed anything in 50 years. Economy is a really shitty god, as it turns out. <laughs> get Mjolnir and knock Economy's head off. I have like a sort of, I don't know if this is 90s exactly. So they go to a lot of lengths to not raise their swear level, as Meg has defined it. But they do. For example, saying... David's like, as my father would say, delicately, military chicken product. Um, and at, at one point, they're like, I don't know if we should get... I didn't even understand that. <laughs> that was so obtuse. <laughs> and at one point, they're like, I don't know if we should get faced. And I was like, oh, no, not faced again. Faced made me so happy. But they include, like, very offensive gay slurs that, like, yeah. yes. I, I'm not even going to say because I don't want to say mm-hmm. that on the air right now. Like, And they, they say bitch. That's, they do. That comes oh. up a couple times too. Yeah. Yeah. So they can't say the S word, but yeah, they can say the, well, uh, they don't say the, like the F word, F word, but they use some gay slurs. To use, uh, to use good place slang. They can't <laughs> oh, yeah. say fork and they can't say shirt, but. They can say bench. They can say bench, <laughs> which bench is my level three swear word. That's why it's there. Yeah. That yeah. makes yeah. sense. I would say shirt is level four and then fork is level five for swearing. I, I would put shirt and bench on the same level. Interesting. I, no, bench is definitely lower than yeah. shirt. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, but I think that might be level I three think, and like, two. I feel like there might offensive. be. I think there might be a level between. We could go a lot deeper. <laughs> this. this is a different podcast. <laughs> that's that's that true. That podcast is called Gray Gets to Say All the Words That She Wants to Say. <laughs> I mean, you still could. It's you just could 45 minutes of beeping. <laughs> just like gray listing and like ranking all of her swear words in terms of preference and frequency. <laughs> Wait, did you have more to say about the swears? Oh, no, I think I think it was just that like, I feel like I would have included that slur in words that like you should not say in a novel that's trying to avoid swearing the way that this one is. But that, that's also very 90s. Yeah, right? that's that's like why yeah. it's kind of a 90s. Yeah, yeah. I would say, yeah. yeah, I would say that today, absolutely not. But back then, it was a common insult and wasn't, it didn't carry the same mm-hmm. weight. I mean, sorry, it did carry the same weight. It didn't carry the same tab. But yeah, culturally, yeah. it didn't, yeah. Yeah. What Jenny said. <laughs> I also noticed this is not, the word ass, I don't think, makes an appearance. It oh. does. It does. I was so excited because... And yet, they still haul with no object. No direct object. We haul. Maybe that's what Apple Grant says, like, in their lives. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we got to finish this book. Okay, let's haul. There's a lot of description of butts. One of my favorite (laughs) sentences is when... David is defending them as they're crawling through this hole in the castle wall. He looks back at his friends and he's like, an undignified parade of butts. 
Uh, he talks about how his butt feels. He's like, he talks a lot about butts in the course uh-huh, of uh-huh. the story. I, I thought maybe they weren't allowed to say ass, but I'm curious for... I can't find the page in particular, but someone does refer to themselves as a badass. A badass. Mm. I think that's different than... Okay, I would agree. Yeah. And then the like, I think it's like son of a bitch, but then April calls Senna a bitch yeah. directly. And then all of the... Inter- this is like other like more like YA level stuff. The like joking about sex and like the like, oh, you shouldn't have had sex at prom. And April's like, you don't know. And there there are a few other references. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was with Sienna last night. With? With? I was like... Right. <laughs> oh, right. No, just with. I appreciated like how comprehensible that conversation was to me. Mm-hmm. There was also like a... I forget if it was with... No, it's when he like David like gets a boner when he meets Senna for coffee at the end, right? Like he's like he has talks about his like physical response in some way, oh, some like coded he's thing. He's like, I did have a physical response. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna find. It's ambiguously. It's, I mean, but <laughs> I thought that was. Part I'm just of the saying, way. like that's more than the anorus would ever go. Like it's very. That's YA definitely level. true. The way my body reacted felt real. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just there's a lot of sex stuff. April is getting like her sex education by watching Vikings having sex next to her. Like, yeah, okay. The Animorphs no, would never do that. Do you disagree? Did you not read this as a boner? The way my body reacted felt real? No, that's probably true. I don't know. I feel like there are like, you know, you could have like butterflies in his, like there's a range of body reactions to like, you know. Yes. But that is probably what is being implied. Yeah. You guys, this is not related to this at all, but I'm so worried about all these kids and their concussions. And they're like small wounds that are like going to go septic and then they're going to die. Like more, more getting hit on the head. How did this series last 12 books? So they can't even morph. Like they're not even getting like magically healed. I'm sorry, scientifically healed. <laughs> like they, <laughs> I misspoke, don't read into it. <laughs> no, they are just like getting hit on the head all the time. And they're not and, like, sleeping. Christopher just gets punched by a troll to like make him be quiet. Yeah, like David gets like brain damage on like the second page of this book and then it just keeps happening. It's very bad. The other thing that twigged to me is like this is YA now mm-hmm. is that Fenrir is a giant wolf and he giant poops and giant pees all over everything. <laughs> giant. Very much like fire hose. They're willing to go there and describe it. That struck me as more middle grade, where it's like, yeah. why 12-year-olds care about how much the wolf pees, 16-year-olds don't. Like a fire hose, Gray. <laughs> you know, I really liked that detail, actually. Like, yeah, you have a wolf here. Of course, this is going to happen. And then you have the like the poor humans who have to clean but it's it up. Not, it sucks. Like, okay, but it's not like, <laughs> oh, wolf it's also a god and a sign of ragnarok like fenrir is a wolf but he's also not a wolf like of all the weird details to pick up on it wasn't like hey sometimes my dad transforms into a horse and then gets pregnant like we're not going to talk about that but the pee that's very but maybe they will okay <laughs> that would be fun do we want to talk about uh, Apple Grant stuff also. Oh, yeah. Besides hauling. So, Gray, please. Okay, I have two very important things that I need to bring up about the fact that Apple Grant wrote this book. One is they are very committed to terrible covers. Oh, this cover is not that <laughs> okay. bad. Yeah. It's, it's not as bad as future covers in this series are going to be, I know from having seen the pictures online, but it's not good. I really like the gold parts. And the color palette. I honestly, 
I had a jump start when I got like my paper books and I'm flipping through them. Ted, the one that you sent in the email with like the elephant, whatever that was. It was gray. Okay, yeah. It's going to be an alien. I had an actual jump scare when I picked up that book. I was like, oh, <laughs> awful. Committed to bad covers. Wait, Gray, I want you to continue, but can we consider what the Everworld logo is? The the infinity sign with the thing? Like, what do we think it means? Uh, it's it's uh, infinity's been pinned down, so the world will ever stay <gasps> in this moment. That's beautiful. That's what or I think. is it the two universes oh, connecting? Oh, touching. And this this eye part is like a portal. And this uh, it has the same sort of design sensibility as the Ankh in Egyptian mythology. The ooh yeah, mm. so it's, it's a like Bianc. a cross with the loop at the top. <laughs> so it's not just they gave Fenrir glasses. Is that what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's going to a twenty. He's celebrating party. year one. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. That's so good. And then, and then the inside oh, cover. Oh, I didn't even see that. Wait, you didn't? What? It's I amazing. Didn't look. It's yeah, so it's good. like oh, it's really badly photoshopped. It's Senna's face in the sky. She has like tawny eyes, and not Julia Roberts' lips, but they are very large lips. She has a normal sized mouth. I retract yeah. my statement. Yeah. And then the four kids are manacled to the wall. Are they in the correct order? They are. Okay. I did check that. It's just very bad Photoshop. Like Wait, assuming all of this cover. I'm assuming that the third boy is David. No, so that's no, that's a jock. Christopher's so, Christopher's so they a jock. have they have them in the wrong order. Yeah, wrong order for shame. Where's a uh, Fenrir on the front cover? He's wasn't in the he hang, Wasn't he hanging out up there? Nah. No, he's like oh, he's in on the, the front. Sorry, he's on yeah. the front cover. Yeah, he's there. Do we think because? Fenrir and Senna have the same, have color the same eyes. eyes. Senrir! Are they the same person? Senrir? Fenna? <laughs> Fenna is better, well, but it's probably Senrir. Is Loki her dad? Fenna is like a pasta. Good question. Is Loki her dad? Is she secretly Slipnir? I don't know. I think I think he would say, like, the witch is my daughter and I have a right to her. And then why do I not have a cutout if that's true? Oh, that's oh. true, yeah. There's no cutout. I guess that means they're they not the same person. They are different colors. So then I'm going to just continue with my second. Do your second my one. My second right? thing that I can tell this, even if you gave me this book and did not tell me who wrote it, I would be able to tell. And I would like to read you the passage <laughs> that convinced me. Please do. The clouds twisted as if a tornado were forming. The pier seemed almost to curl like a pig's tail. I looked at Jaleel. His face was turning inside out. Inside out, exclamation point. I could see the back of his eyes, the gray wrinkled brain, the heaving, gasping trachea in his throat. I held my hands up instinctively, blocking that vision, but my own hands were twisted and deformed. The skin was flayed and spread out as if I'd been skinned. I could see the blood-soaked muscles beneath, the white bones. I saw the arteries pumping blood up through my wrists. What? 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 Gross. Loved it. So are you saying this because it's like Elemist vision or because it's so disturbing and only one writing team could disturb you as much? It is that it, they managed to get a morph into a book that's not about morphing. <laughs> and it was just as gross. There were no sound effects this time. But like, ew. Ew, ew, ew. Ew, ew, ew. Ew. I love that part. I'm sure you did. <laughs> but you didn't mind the morphs as much as I did. I'm just saying it's gross. Ted, what did you have about Apple Grant stuff? So two references, two additional references. The ones you mentioned were great. The M1 Abrams tank yes. comes back. Um, 
possibly was written at the same time as the tank book and the, like i don't know if they're mm. maybe uh, they learned Michael about Graham tanks was on for a tank this kick. And, yeah and then the uh, david makes an analogy to remoras being attached to sharks and being like towed along like suckerfish being towed along and i was like that you got to slip in an animal fact too right great, like, qu- great again point. this is not like some slacker kid is not going to be like name dropping remoras but david good did. point and i was like this is Catherine applegate speaking to us yeah and my note on i think maybe it was the tank part but i had a couple notes that were like apple grant do love their war machines they are gonna tell us about them yeah they were really into that in this one i wonder if we'll get war technology like because uh david was talking about like there are no cannons on these ships and i was like what if they tell people about cannons maybe then they'll get cannons because it kind of seems like even though the vikings were like Oh yeah, you're come from you come from the old world. We know about that. Somehow we know that you come from the old world. But it doesn't seem like other people have traveled to Everworld. Mm. Like there's no they're not like, oh yeah, like those other people who came by. Like there's no mm. indication. This isn't Dinotopia. Excellent <laughs> reference. I love it. They're gonna invent guns. I mean we're not at the predictions Whoa. stage yet, but that's my prediction. They're gonna invent gunpowder. They're like they again they should have some civilizations that worshipped gods that already have gunpowder. Like, yeah. I'm not sure when the cutoff is, but it seems like it's after gunpowder was discovered. Also, note how they're not like a bunch of medieval Christians running around. Oh, man. I want to get to that <laughs> in the prediction yeah, section. Yeah, me too. Meg, can you tell us, you were saying something about the gods and their motivations. Yeah. So uh, we're kind of thrown up into this whole big machination that's already happening when we come to Everworld. Uh, Loki wanted Senna for something specific. We don't know what. And he's borrowed power from places he now needs to repay uh, in order to send Fenrir to Earth to bring her here. Some wrench got thrown in the works. It's these four other high school juniors. And he's like, what do I do with this? But anyway. Those meddling kids. After they came to Everworld, Loki has trapped Odin somewhere. He is sending Odin loyal Vikings with Mjolnir over to the Aztecs area um, to get Huitzilopochtli's head with Mjolnir and bring it back. And then the, what was the actual aliens with the arms? Hetwan. Okay, yeah. So the Hetwans are apparently everyone's enemy, but Loki is dealing with them. Wait, but we don't actually know they're aliens, right? Someone uses the word alien, but we don't know that they're from like a different planet, right? That's true, but they're not from Earth's history. So they're like... As far They're as a we weird know, element. That's know. true. That's I mean, true. I just want. But it does seem like the we Aztecs... haven't even addressed the fact that they're aliens. <laughs> but I want Meg to continue with her. The point. Aztecs are allied with the Hetwan openly, and Loki is maybe dealing with them secretly. So yeah. that's why the Vikings are all upset. They're like, "Oh crap! He's double crossing us by sending us on this errand to defeat the Hetwan allied Aztecs." But he's also allied with the Hetwan, so like they're pretty concerned about that. I did actually, I googled Hetwans because I'm like, what the heck mythology are they from? And it was like, Hetwans, Everworld. And I was like, ah, they're made up. Same thing with the Koo Hatch, which they traded with. They traded with Atlantis and the Koo Hatch. And I was like, I know one of those things. What the hell is the other one? Made up, <laughs> totally made up. The Hetwans, by the way, I got very concerned briefly because in some linguistic traditions, including English, H's and K's are interchangeable mm-hmm. because they're. So oh, I was like, oh my God, are these the Catrins? Oh, I'm going to be so and they have mad. Wings? Maybe they are. No, no, no. <gasps> I love no, 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 no. it. I hate it. I hate it. I love it. Different universes. <laughs> um, until we find the universe matrix, there's not going to be any. So you're saying the time matrix doesn't have the ability to create new universes? 
For example, pocket universes. Uh, Jenny, I'm going to have to destroy this audio. We're going to have to record this later. <laughs> the other one just related to, to what Meg was just saying. Similarly on a Apple grant was here. Note, this book is about gods, mythology, and like kind of time travel. It's like sort of this interesting parallel world. Fucking why are there aliens? <laughs> this is what I, this is why I don't think we're going to get satisfying answers. Um, mm. It's just, it doesn't, I don't know. It's not going anywhere. This is the same, like, you know what you're going to need to teach kids about animals? Aliens. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, the animal's hey, premise worked. is rock It solid. worked. <laughs> okay. The Animorphs premise is amazing and like unable sure. to be duplicated. So it's unclear to me that Loki knows. So there's this other wrinkle on the Norse side of things that Thor is missing, but they do have Mjolnir. Mjolnir. It was unclear to me that Loki knows that the the Vikings have Thor's hammer because it sounded like he set a ransom for Odin that's like, bring me the head of this god, knowing that no one would be able to fulfill that ransom. But the Vikings are like, we have a secret weapon. Oh, come on. Loki totally knows. And he's like, I want this god killed. I know. I'll make the Vikings do it and then double cross them. That's maybe, obviously his plan. Maybe. I obviously. just don't know that that is true. And if they fail, at least he'll be rid of these Vikings that oppose him. I'm worried that our interpretation of Loki in these books is going to be heavily influenced by the Avengers movies. <laughs> I thought you were going to yes. say by Visser 3. <laughs> too. No, no, I definitely am just, you know, picturing Tom Hiddleston. That's not this Loki. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. So let's. do we want to do some big predictions about the, the series? I have a big prediction is that since we do have so few kids, they will get split up and end up allying with uh, our different cultures that we have oh. over here. So like April will end up alone with one group of people and like Christopher with someone else and they may be allies by the end of the series or they may be enemies. Mm. I, I kind of more expect them to stay together just because Apple Grant seems to like writing groups, but I don't know. I have a prediction which is about the rotating protagonists. Mm-hmm. So I suspected when there were four that we would get and it's 12 books that we would get a three books from each character. It does seem that we are at least getting David Christopher. I'm really curious if Senna comes in, and I'm really curious if we ever get a Megamorphs-style book where it rotates between the protagonists. So it would be super interesting if we got, like, eight books, and then Senna gets introduced, and then they'd have, like, a Megamorphs-y one as the finale. Like, I think it really depends on how much it was planned versus improvised in terms of Mm -hmm. what they want to do. I could also imagine by the time we get to book five, Senna's part of the group, and she's Mm. a fifth protagonist, exactly like the Animorphs. Uh, But it feels more natural that it's going to be one, two, three, four, and then back to David for book five. So that is my prediction about series format. Do we want to predict specifically the next book, which I believe is called Land of Loss? Yeah. Land of Loss is the Aztec city. It's Aztecs versus Vikings, the book. I want someone to lose a limb in Everworld and get freaked out. Like one of the four? Yeah, one of our four to lose like an arm or a leg. And then when they return to the real world, it's fine. You mean like in their dreams, like in their sleeping times yeah. or like somehow when the series is over? Uh, yeah. So so that's like the big question of let's say someone gets a hand cut off in Everworld, mm-hmm. but when they go to sleep and wake up in high school, it's like fine. But when they come back to Everworld, their hand is still missing. I would be interested Ooh, to see a character so deal with that. It would be a little Narnia-ish, yeah. right? Where like 
Mm-hmm. We grew up. We had battles. Then we went back and we were kids again, which just had to suck. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, want to predict. So we know that we've got the Aztec, the Norse myths, and the Egyptian myths. Oh, and the like Greek, Greek myths around too. I feel that the Apple Grant writing team is not going to suddenly pull out a wealth of information about sort of Eastern civilizations. Mm-hmm. So my prediction is either Celtic or Jesus shows up. (laughs) I don't think anything from Christianity will show up because I think that would be too controversial for like Mm. mass market publishing to portray Christianity as on par with the Norse gods. Celtic like this like sort of magical thing that doesn't exist in our world anymore. Then it's I don't think good. they'll do it. There's a scene I remember from the one book that I did read, and it is a I know one of the mythologies that comes in. Don't say I it. I won't. Don't say it. I won't. Okay. Just saying. <laughs> I hope it's Celtic so that the Morrigan can come and like kick Loki's ass. I don't know what that is, but I'm excited. Are, Gray, do you think that, that we will get one mythology per book as a focal point? Like, are we going to pivot to Aztec and then, like, pivot to Celts and then, like, pivot to Atlantis or something? For the first four or five, yes. Mm -hmm. And then there'll be more crossovers. Yeah. Mm. Because it's, like, very, like, temeraire. You go to a new location or, like, Terry Pratchett books. Yeah. Like, Rincewind goes to Australia. Rincewind goes to Asia. Like, it's kind of the Mm -hmm. end up in different places. At least for the first five. I hope they bring in Indian mythology. It feels like it would really fit in with this, with sort of the pantheon. I would also, I would also love that. That would be, that would be my like. If they manage to do this, I will be extremely interested. Yeah. Well, but I think they're if just they gonna need skip twelve, it. they're gonna need to move a little bit beyond right. Europe and right. Yeah, combining, synergizing, a comment from Gray earlier and a comment <laughs> from Ted earlier. How Ted's like only the most violent war worshiping is here and then gray's like what about all the goddesses of the hearth or like gods of the home and stuff i almost am like are we gonna find out that everworld is not somewhere you go by choice it's somewhere you're banished to if you are someone who perpetuates these ideas of violence and death i love that Ooh, yeah, (laughs) that's like more than i expect (laughs) from them Mm -hmm. but i like it as an idea i don't think it's gonna happen but i like it i want that one (laughs) this is time out for the naughty gods <laughs> I like that a lot. I like that a lot. That's a I'd good take. I read the heck out of that book. I want to predict Meg's entire Christopher Santa David backstory about how, like, when David comes to town, she goes, she cools on Christopher mm-hmm. and pivots to David as like an intentional and creepy, like he's going to be my yeah. new vessel thing. Mm-hmm. I think we'll get that backstory. Yeah, April was definitely dating Christopher before Senna took him too. So I'm a little more skeptical, but I would be interested in that development. Do we have more predictions on like? We have, you know, our one girl. Is she going to end up with any of the guys? Is there going to be, like, almost relationships? How's that going to go? I think she's going to end up with David. Yeah. I think ultimately she'll end up with David. I have some spoiler knowledge because the one book that I do really vividly remember, I think I read an April book and a David book, but not this one, a later one. So So you shouldn't predict if you have spoiler knowledge. I do. David Christopher... Uh, I would love and that. And then April Jaleel because they're left over. <laughs> <clears throat> and Senna Loki. See, I would like Jaleel Christopher. Funny and smart. Huh. An unbeatable yeah. combo. 
If I if mean, Christopher like, were funny, Jaleel Marco, okay. yes, funny right? like, in quotation that's marks. Great. Yes, I ship Jaleel and Marco. Okay. That is <laughs> ideal. I want it. We have to write crossover fic. That's true. Yeah, the Universe <laughs> Matrix. So April is Cassie, but a theater kid, or is April Tobias if he was allowed to like? I don't think April's have any hobbies. Of them. April is more like April is more the chick than than anyone in Animorphs except Cassie, but less the chick than Cassie. Like I don't, she doesn't seem to have. She's a vegetarian. Rachel was a vegetarian for like a week once. <laughs> <laughs> Hardest week of her life. She's like much more like outspoken and performative than Cassie. She she seems to like the stage. She's like more combative in conversation. Like she's witty mm-hmm. in a way that Cassie is not. It's yeah, she's just a very different person than than anyone in the Animorphs, I think. I do like that they seem to have created distinct characters. Christopher is like Marco, but without the things that make Marco likable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Few though those were. He also he hinted at a bad backstory, like family things, so I think Jaleel is Axe, but better. Like, Axe, but more of a person and less of a representation of a species. Mm-hmm. I mean, he also, I don't know. I feel like he, there's definitely things Axe has that Jaleel doesn't have. Like, they are distinct, but he's going to play a very similar role in the group. I, what I want to have, what I want us to do is to put our, put some stakes in the ground about how we think the plot's going to play out. It's mm-hmm. really hard for me to think, like, the next book or, like, eventually. Mm-hmm. I do think this Aztec god will die, but not... I do not think the Aztec God will die in the next book. And I think that they're going to rescue Thor. But I feel like that's oh, going to happen yeah. sooner. I feel like I feel like we might pick up, we might be in Aztec world, we might be following the what happened to Thor thread. And then mm-hmm. we have to, there has to be some plot device that gets them to the third civilization by the yeah. end of the book. Uh, but I think, think basically the, the, the Vikings are going to lose super hard, at least at the, the, the initial battle mm-hmm. at the beginning of the mm-hmm. book. Like this is going to be, the what's it called land of loss oh yeah yeah so like all these vikings <laughs> are gonna die and they're gonna run away and the god's gonna be super powerful but then maybe they escape with the hammer and they have yeah. to rescue thor you think, yeah i think the kids will end up with the hammer yeah that's fun yeah what civilization do you think is the next one after aztec um i'm just gonna go for my wish fulfillment i think amazons gonna oh, go cool. greek okay. and amazons love that i think it's a jaleel book and Egyptians. Oh, yeah. Okay. Ooh, yeah. That's another. Okay. I, my prediction is we get April before Jaleel. So right. we'll, we'll agree to disagree there, Greg. <laughs> yeah. My stake in the ground is, again, I think the kids will get separated. Okay. Do I have a stake in the ground? I don't know. I think all the prophecies about David will come true. I think the kids will stay together. <laughs> I think they'll Jenny do just tears my April. stake out of the ground for her guests. <laughs> I just have a second stake that's in a different place than your stake. <clears throat> I think we'll get April before Jaleel because I think they'll be like, hang on, we've written two books and haven't had a girl yet. I think David will get stabbed with a spear, like he said in oh, his dream. Yeah. He had a dream. I think it was a prophetic since dream. Was I think six. he will get stabbed with a spear. He says it's been a recurring dream yeah. since he was six years old. Oh, yeah. And he there's this whole stabbed. thing about how dreams are memories of oh, another world. And I, I, oh, yeah. I don't know where this is coming Send from, but maybe they're going to have to give him a blood transfusion. <laughs> crazy prediction <laughs> I, I i want it to be like a blood transfusion like in dracula where it's just like three guys like putting blood in a lady because blood types don't <laughs> exist in fantasy worlds yeah <laughs> uh, my stake in the ground i want to retract jaleel being book three and say it's going to be april book three it's going to be celtic mythology 
And I'm saying mm. this because I looked at the title and it's Enter the Enchanted and it's going to be like <laughs> Merlin the Enchanter does a thing. <gasps> Great. Oh. If the Elemist figure is Merlin, are you on board? No, I'm throwing things <laughs> and quitting. <laughs> so that's what's going to happen next time. Really excited. Tune in, everyone. I'm actually really excited. I think I'm going to read the second book pretty soon. Ooh. Yeah, this was really fun. I'm glad we got to. I'm glad we're back to read these books, and that oh, there are only so twelve of them. And Meg, it's this so great, great to have Listen, you with us. Yeah, this is so I know fun. four is such a weird number, but I'm so honored <laughs> that you added me onto the regular team. Yeah, we're we only have three Zoom windows, so we're safe. We're good. <laughs> okay, good. Also, um, I think that in this group of four, that makes Ted the chick. Well, because there's four people and one odd uh-huh. odd gender out. Oh, yeah. yes, that's true. Yeah. I'm you boxed in by chick. my gender, like poor April. <laughs> Sorry, Ted. <laughs> I'm the only one that can see the boners between the lines. <laughs> and we have our closing salutation. Thank you, Ted. If you want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. <laughs> just because we know this isn't going to go in the episode, I'll just say, I did a quick Google search to see what would come up, and it turns out Senna's a laxative.